It's the father's good pleasure, not his reluctant duty, his good pleasure. I got so many comments when I taught on Genesis 3 last week on when, when Adam and Eve blew it and God, they had to leave the garden. They blew it. And then the Bible says that, that, that God put an angel with a, with a flaming sword in front of the garden. And he turned to the north and the south and the east and the west. And, I, and, and most Christians are taught he put that angel there to keep you out. So you couldn't get back into the blessing. But we're, but think, that's so crazy. We're redeemed. We're brought back by the blood of the lamb. And when you read it in Hebrew, that angel is not in front of the garden to keep you out. That angel is in front of the garden that once we understand what the blood of Jesus has done, we may be in this world, but we can see that. You know, I was thinking about the Statue of Liberty. When many of our relatives came into America, and and I think it says something on the bottom of that. She's standing there with a beacon. And on the Statue of Liberty, it says, bring me your poor, your broken, your homeless. Bring them to me. That's what God is doing. He's waving that sword saying, come on in. This is where the blessing is. Can I have an amen? Amen. We were talking about covenant. And when God told me to teach, he said to teach from 1 Samuel chapter 18. So read that with me real quick. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul... The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And so Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Can I stop right now? I, I, was, doing, I was doing this teaching for our television program, and I was reading this on the broadcast for our broadcast, and when I, when I read that, and Saul... Saul represents the father, the king in the kingdom, took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. In his father's house, he was a nobody. In his father's house, he was poor. In his father's house, he may have been hungry. And when I read that, God said, from this day on, Those who understand the covenant of the blood of Jesus, you're not going back to that house of poverty anymore, that house of failure anymore. You're not going home anymore. Once you come out of the promised land, they never went back to Egypt. Somebody ought to shout amen. Amen. Then Jonathan and David made covenant because he loved him as his own son. Actually, and you'll you'll understand this next week, the Bible literally says, Then Jonathan and David cut covenant, and I'll explain that next week, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword, to his bow, and to his belt. In in Hebrew, in, in these days, when two people made covenant, They didn't just make a vow, but it's called in Hebrew, the covenant of exchange. The first thing we studied this last week, the first thing they did was when David and Jonathan cut covenant, Jonathan took off his robe of royalty and he hung them on the shoulders of David. Now we taught this last week, but I want to, I want to show you once again, why this is important. David would have had the robe of a shepherd boy. 
David would have had the robe that was worn and tattered. That would have been just like everybody else. But if you read verse 5, wherever he went, they recognized him. Why did they recognize him? Not just because he was sent, but he walked with new clothing. What this means in Hebrew, and I, I taught this last week, is they changed identity. Jesus, the king of all kings, became a servant so you and I could become joint heirs with Christ Jesus. Now, I really feel I need to hit on this just for a moment. One of the greatest tricks the devil has is to tell you you're a nobody. You're a nobody. He'll never tell you God can't do it. He'll just say God can't do it for you because you're a nobody. You are not a nobody. You are a joint heir with Christ Jesus. Can I have an amen? See, with the devil lying to you about you being a nobody, that's nothing new. Probably the second greatest man in all the Bible is Moses. And here God calls Moses. Moses is standing before the burning bush. God says to Moses, or, 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 God, yeah, God says to Moses, he said, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Now, if, if you're standing there talking to a burning bush, wouldn't that be enough sign to you? And the bush is not consumed. And the bush says, take off your sandals for where you are is holy ground. And, and Moses says to the bush, who are you? And the bush says, I am that I am. Tell the people I will be all that they need me to be whenever they need me to be it. Now, I don't know about you. Now, I did talk to some bushes before I was saved. <laughs> and heard them talk back. But now that I'm in my right mind, if a bush was talking to me and giving me, that should be enough. But what did Moses say? Who am I? See, that's one of the greatest tricks. I, I know, I know you can do it, but who am I that God would use me? You know, when I first got saved, uh, I, I, I came down the altar, got saved and, uh, you know, little, little church became my church and everybody in that church looked at me and walked all around and prayed. They're praying for everybody else at the altar. Nobody prayed for me. And I'm kind of thinking, who am I? You know what, who we are? God loves to use the least likely of all the people so that we can give him all the praise and all the glory. You think about when the prophet came, when the prophet came to, uh, to uh, 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 Jesse, David's house, and said, one of your sons is going to be the king. So the prophet comes and says, one of your sons are going to be the king. So he brings out the good-looking ones. He brings out the tall ones. But he's got you and me out in the wilderness. And dad don't even think about bringing it. Isn't that right? See, you're going you're gonna, to... Man looks on... You know, I, the other day, I, I, I was... Um, uh, up preaching in the Northwest and some folks called me and said, there's this pastor wants to meet you. He wants you to come 
and, and preach in uh, Honduras. Him and his brother have a church of 40,000 people. They put another church out that has 20,000 people. And uh, they, they want you to come to this island. They, they minister to 110,000 people a night. Said this guy, he's planted like this last two years, 500 churches. He, he lays hands on the sick, blind eyes open. H- Hispanic pastor in Wenatchee, Washington. So I said, man, I, I, I want to meet him. So I said, sure, I'll come. I want to meet this guy. This guy's planting churches, preaching to hundreds of thousands of people. So I get off the plane, and, and there's this guy. He's about this tall. And he walks up to me. He just got you know, regular clothes on and everything. He said, Pastor Larry, I'm Pastor Jesus. And I said, Pastor Jesus. And then he had a couple. This is a true story. Then he had a couple in there, and he introduced me to this couple. He said, this is, this is a brother in the church, Joseph, and, and this is his wife, Maria. I said, oh, my God, I'm being picked up by Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. You talk about feeling intimidated. It's all downhill once they hear me. But here's, here's a, 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 a man about my age. He's only about this, about this tall, really. He was a laborer in the orchards there for 20 years. Now he's speaking all over the world. He's telling me stories. I'm going to bring him in here. Tell him about laying hands on people over there. They got such great faith. Blind eyes are open. Cripples are walking. See, God's not looking for somebody who looks like a king. God's looking for somebody who has the king of all kings looking in them. Can I have an amen? You are a somebody in the kingdom of God. This is why David and Jonathan exchange robes. Now, the next thing I want you to look at real quick is in verse 4. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him, that's the exchange of identity, and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword, to his bow, and to his belt. Can I have you turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 6? Just, just very briefly. In the, in the covenant of exchange, they would exchange their robes to show we're exchanging identity. David all of a sudden went from a shepherd boy. David all of a sudden went from a, a deliverer of lunch to an equal heir with Jonathan in the kingdom. And then they, after they exchange robes, the Bible says they exchange weapons. That means David would have given Jonathan his slingshot, and Jonathan gave him his sword, his belt, uh, uh, his armor. And what this means is we're exchanging power, and we're exchanging enemies. And what this says is, David, from now on, whoever your enemy is, is my enemy. Now David, by the grace of God, slew a lion and slew a bear, and then he slew Goliath. But David was about to have the army of God come behind him. Look at Ephesians, just real quickly, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And it says, finally, my brethren, now listen to this as a word to you. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now, God wants you to be strong, but he doesn't want you to be strong in earthly power. He wants you to be strong in spiritual power. 
Verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the strategies of the devil. Now look at verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Now look at me just a second. This scripture God is saying to us, he says, you battle not with flesh and blood. Your battle is not with people, but there is a battle. There's a battle to come against your walk with God. There's a battle to come against your marriage, your children, your family, your finances, your prosperity, your health. We battle not with flesh and blood, but we do battle. And the battle we do battle with are principalities and powers and spiritual rulers in dark places. You can't beat, you can't defeat poverty the world's way. You can't defeat cancer the world's way. You can't defeat racism the world's way. You can't defeat addiction the world's way. You may get a reprieve for a while, but God doesn't want you to hold on. He wants you to let go. God doesn't want you treading water. He wants you walking on water. And so he gives us spiritual weapons to use. You're in a battle. You're in a warfare. But I read the end of the book, you and I win. Can I have an amen? Amen. Therefore, because we're in a spiritual warfare, therefore take up the whole armor of God. Say the whole armor. But it's, it's not enough to quote the scripture. It's not enough to say take on the whole armor of God. Just like it's not enough to say I plead the blood of Jesus. People have been pleading the blood of Jesus for 2,000 years, but then ask them, where did Jesus shed his blood? They'll say at Calvary. And so they, they got a little bit of the armor, but they don't have all. Jesus didn't shed his blood once, but how many times? Seven times. So it's not enough to say, I got on the armor of God. We need to know what the armor of God is. Look at this. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Why? So that you may be able to withstand in the evil day Having done all the stand, stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. What was the first, one of the first things they exchanged? Belts. Strength. You know what the strength in your life is? And I'm going to show you this in a minute, is the word of God. It's not the word, it's not the truth that will set you free. It's the truth you understand. It doesn't matter what's happening out there. When we know the truth and we understand it, that becomes our strength. I'll explain that in a minute. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness means good deeds, acts of kindness, reaping what you sow. If you want God to do you acts of kindness, all we have to do is be the light of the world. Go around being nice to people, having your feet shod, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Look at me. Gossipers and backbiters will never be blessed. Blessed be the peacemaker. If we gossip, we backbite, we, we, we pick fights at home. You know, just, just looking for a fight to pick. You'll never get blessed. Blessed be the peacemaker. You need to, wherever you go, Tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the kingdom of heaven is joy, happiness, peace in the Holy Ghost. Wherever you go, the Holy Spirit needs to be bringing peace. 
Amen? At work. They need to be at work going, where is he? Where is he? Not, oh, here comes that Christian. Don't condemn people. This is not the bad news. This is the good news. How many want to be blessed? Say this with me. Blessed be the peace makers. Now, I don't have time to get in this, but not, well, he did it first. She did it first. Doesn't matter. You want to be blessed? Be the peace. If there's no peace, what should you do? If there's no peace, what should you do? Oh, it's getting quiet on that one. I better move on. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Then look at this. Above all, taking the shield of faith. It doesn't matter if you're a peacemaker. It doesn't matter if you're doing good deeds. It doesn't matter if, uh, if any of these things unless you understand my God, your God is running to and fro looking for somebody that he can bless. You got to understand it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You can't, don't ever say, well, I'm paying the price. You can't pay the price. The price has been paid in full. It's finished. You got to understand, well, pastor, but you don't know what I did. I don't need to know what you did. I know what he did. And three days later, he rose again and the Christ has been, oh, somebody ought to shout amen. Above all, the shield of faith. Somebody's going to get blessed. Somebody's going to get rich. Is it done? His mercy is fresh. Above all, you got to understand he is running to and fro looking for. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. When you have faith, listen, the devil's going to shoot darts at you. The devil's going to shoot darts at you. When they went and spied out the land, they said, there's giants there. God never said there weren't any giants. But when you got faith... And you realize he wants to do it for you. It's already been done for you. All you got to do is enter into it with praise and thanksgiving. The devil shoot fiery darts, but they're going to be put out every time they're shot against you. Real quick. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance, supplication for all the saints. Go to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you don't know where Ecclesiastes is, go to the book of Psalms. Make a ride over to the Proverbs and then one more ride to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter four. Now, as you're turning there, let me read this again. Let me read this again. Take the helmet of salvation. Look at me. The helmet of salvation covers your mind. Covers your thinking. Why? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And I'll I'll teach this a little bit more next week because I did too much on the other stuff. That's why the Bible says, cast down imaginations. The word imagination in Greek is the word reasoning or logical thinking. It's not logical water comes out of a rock. 
It's not logical a giant comes down with a slingshot. When God says it, that word is more real than fact. So you got to cast down. you got to put on the helmet of salvation and not listen. People say to you all the time, did you see on the news? And, and, and there's nothing against it. But I don't listen to the news very much. Because the news is bad news. Now, I'm not saying be ignorant, but you got to cover your mind and you got to cover your mouth. Look at this. The word, uh, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. I'll get this more next week. Everything up to this point is defense. The sword is offense. The helmet, the feet, the breastplate, that's how you defend yourself. But God doesn't want you just standing still. He wants you going forward. Right? And the way you do that is the word of God. All right, look, look with me, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. Look at this, amazing. This is talking about covenant. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. For then he has no one to help him up. And again, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And then look at the next verse. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, real quick, and I'll go into this more detail next week. And don't miss next week. It's the best one of them all. I've been waiting, I've been waiting a month to give you next week. Here the scriptures talking about covenant. And in most cases, when you study it, those two are you and God. You and God, you and God, you and God. We can't make it without God. We get cold, he warms us. We fall down, he lifts us up. But here we have... From verse 9 down to verse 12, you too, you too, you and God, 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 you and God. And then he ends it with, but a three-strand cord can't easily be broken. Why is he talking about us and God, us and God? It should be all we need is us and God. Why does he put in the third one? The third one in Hebrew has two meanings. First off, it's a friend, but deeper than that, it's your teacher. Because when you're going through it, sometimes you need somebody to say to you, you're not going under, you're going over. Sometimes you need a rabbi, a teacher, that's what rabbi means, to tell you that's not what it means, this is what it means. The other day, we were at home. My daughter Anna called. She's seven months pregnant, six and a half, seven months pregnant. Said, Mom, they've been concerned because the baby is getting real big. And there's concerns if the baby gets too big. She called and said, Mom, the baby hasn't moved in the last couple days. I'm on the way to hospital. Tiz got jumped up, went down there. I got on the phone. I called praying. Baby hadn't been moving. You know, I, I could have just said, you know, now, Father, and I did. But one will send a 1,000 fleeing. Two will send 10,000 fleeing. What will 2,000 of us meeting together do? And this is no joke. This is no joke. They put Anna down. At the very moment they put Anna down, everybody began to, at that very moment, that baby went boom, 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 boom. It's not a coincidence. 
I'd love to tell you it's just me and God, but it's not. It's me and God and my family and my friends. And together we will not be broken from the promises of God. If you receive that, give the Lord a clap offering. Come on, give him praise this morning. Hallelujah. Stand with me all over the building, would you please? Man, I feel... I feel like we've been in a fight. You ever, you ever, you ever been? In, you ever read the scripture where it says they fought the good fight? How many men have ever been in a fight? How many, how many know it's only a good fight when you win? Amen. It ain't a good fight when you got the tar licked out of you. I feel like today we've been in the good fight. <laughs> 